Hello, 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 everyone. Thank you for joining the Strange Tonic Podcast. Thank you for supporting the Strange Tonic Podcast. Just, you know, the things I always say, and will always say, because we appreciate it. We have a great time having these conversations, and we've just been floored at the kind of support we've gotten, not only from, in my case, just my lovely family members and close friends, but even people that I wouldn't have thought would check out the podcast have been supporting us and saying nice things, which you really don't have to do, but we do love to hear it. So thank you to those of you who are doing that. I'm going to give them two plugs here this evening just because I have to. Pan Astral, thank you so much for letting us use your music. It's uh, <laughs> The more I listen to it, the more I keep finding I'm like, I should use this one too, I should use this one too. But the, <laughs> at the same time, I'm torn because the stuff I have used, I'm like, I keep listening to it, I'm like, oh, this part's awesome. I can't wait for this part to come up. So... Just thank you so much, Pan Astral. Thank you, Tad. I keep checking your guys' website, and I don't see any new shows. However, I do, because I'm friends with Tad on Facebook and in real life. It's just been a couple years since I've seen him. I do follow him on social media and other sites. I know that they're in the studio working on just tremendous stuff. I can't wait for it to be released. So check them out. PanAstral.com, PanAstral on iTunes, PanAstral Bandcamp. Just, just check them out. Just do it. Just do it. And from there... I want to share with you a bit of insight as to what I've found so far for me to be kind of the most difficult part of this whole podcasting experience. And it's what I'm doing right now. It's this intro where I'm doing it by myself. I suppose it might help if I had a script, but I just kind of go off the cuff. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it ends with, I should say, most oftentimes ends with me just screaming an expletive. It's not screaming. An expletive that starts with the S word. And kind of mimicking, uh, not even intending to, but one of Bill O'Reilly's famous uh, rants where he's very upset that John Tesh is playing them out. And if you haven't seen that, you must look it up. It's it's wonderful, and Bill O'Reilly is awful. So it's fun to see him screw up, even though I kind of, I should say, as a lowly podcaster, know how he feels. Um, from there, I mean, there's no easy segue to get into this, but... Just hearts go out, and I'm not trying to sound empty like I believe a lot of politicians, others might sound when they say this, but thoughts, prayers, whatever, good vibes, whatever you can do, we are all, we're all humans, we're all Americans, and it's just, every time one of these things goes down, it's awful, and we should just do our best to treat each other the best we can try and be as friendly, as compassionate, and as sweet to each other as possible. One of the things I liked about, oddly enough, reading both Hillary Clinton's, really Rod Clinton's latest book, as well as Jeff Flake's book, is they both have sections where they talk about this innate and just wonderful desire to be as kind as possible and just do their best to make sure that they keep that in mind every day. So I've been trying to get better about that myself. I feel I've made some strides. I still do occasionally yell at other drivers, you know, obviously not at them directly, but in my car to myself, like a sane person, um, when they do dumb things. And I'm trying to cut back on that too, but I think uh, just... (laughs) I hope that we can all do that and keep that in mind. I, 
if I can ask anything of all of us, and including myself, is just be kind, and maybe, in a sense, that might help. I know that's awful, but I, I just, I, there's got to be something that we can do outside of a policy or whatever directive from government where it's just, let's just agree that we should stop screaming at each other and stop being so mean and just be kind and compassionate and talk to each other. From there, another uh, kind of ham-fisted segue. For those of you, I'm mainly speaking to those of you that I know personally and that I'm connected to on social media, if any of you ever want to have a conversation on a podcast recording with Michelle or myself about something that you feel that you're well-versed in the topic that you, and you want to provide your your own personal original voice to, and maybe not just stuff that you've seen in the news or something like that, but something you just, you'd love to talk to us about. Not This isn't a debate platform so much as both Michelle and I think can agree on this. We're just looking to have a good, productive, positive conversation and also just kind of learn stuff about each other, learn stuff about stuff we don't know. If that's the case, please hit me up on social media. And if I don't know you, maybe don't contact us through the feedback email, but you can always hit me up on Twitter. My handle is at StrangeTonic, and I'd, I'd like to hear from you if you're a willing to have that kind of conversation. So, as I said, I'm going to do this twice tonight. So here's the second plug. This is for Pan Astral. This week, I'm using, again, because this is I, the original recording that got me into Pan Astral, is this song. And it's just, it's heavy, it's dynamic. Everything about it is just fantastic. This is You Need off of their latest album, Suburban Blues. Although I'm hoping, as I'm seeing on, as I said before, pretty sure they've got some new stuff dropping. So, with that being said, thank you for listening, thank you for supporting us, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. because I just got done walking the dog uh-huh. that having a <laughs> couple things to talk about is probably a good idea because we're never ever going to be able to catch up in the world of dipshit <laughs> Trump like he's just going yeah. to keep saying this stuff I was telling a Canadian friend of mine tonight that uh, I'm just waiting for when he gets mad at Canada during the NAFTA uh, negotiations and in total, just you know, projecting his jealousy. Yeah. Makes some tweet about how Trudeau's hair is fake. <laughs> like, uh, uh, that, that would be. That it's would going be to great. happen, and call them deadbeats and all that. So it'll, it'll be fun. Yeah, yeah, it'll be fun. I I recently met a couple of people from Canada, and uh, I asked if I could have honorary citizenship. They said I could, so I think I'm on my way. <laughs> I was in. Germany in like maybe 2004 uh-huh. 
And it was funny because we had like three or four different cab drivers. I was with my dad and my sister. And they were always very much interested in what we thought of Bush at the time. Um, yeah. And most of it was, I remember one of the cab drivers said directly that, yes, the German government is also corrupt, but not nearly as bad as the U.S. Also, he's like, how do you elect someone like that? Like, so I can only imagine what the uh, what non-Americans think of our uh, would-be strongman here uh, responding to a question about civility by nonsensically dissembling on about his education and his great <laughs> memory. Like, um, what? What a good student he was. <laughs> or a nice student he was. <laughs> yeah. Texted my friend Ben this evening too. Like, what are the chances are that he could actually name all of the Ivy League schools if given the chance? Right. And I was being generous. I think he can probably get, obviously, Penn. He can probably get, so I think he can get Penn, Harvard, Yale, even though I'm not entirely sure he can get Yale. And then he'll (laughs) either get. Columbia or Princeton, maybe both, but I think that's probably going to be it for him. Yeah, I I would give him zero zero <laughs> chance of getting them all. <laughs> I, mean, I even think he might include Penn State before he realizes what Brown, <laughs> Cornell, <Right>. huh? <laughs> Where's Cornell? <laughs> I've never heard of that. It's fake no, news. No, you haven't. <laughs> It makes me think of Andy from the office. Exactly. And they're messing with him. Cord- uh, I went, went to Cornell. Cornell. Mm, never heard of it. You heard of it? <laughs> no. Or, or when Dwight says he's going to apply. Yeah. It's like, I've decided to do your interview. Oh, well, I guess I'll do a review of your interview. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. I remember. He looks so stupid in that video, too, where he's, like, trying uh, to defend himself. I'm an intelligent person. Pointing at his head. <laughs> the most unbelievable claim I've seen in a while. Well, it, it's... Someone was asking, like, whether or not he's trying to convince us or he's trying to convince himself. Mm. And my immediate thought was not to be mean or anything, but... Look at his hair. Does he honestly believe that anyone buys that that's, you know, not only real, but a good idea? (laughs) He should have ditched that years ago, but instead he, it's whatever the hell it is on his head. Yeah. So (laughs) I think he's just very vain, very Mm -hmm. shallow, and honestly believes that people think that he's, not believe him. Maybe not believe he's smart because I don't. I think believe me. Believe me. I'm I don't smart. think he believe believes me. he's smart. <laughs> I, w- I wonder if he because he is so vain and so narcissistic. He has some kind of dysmorphia, you know, like uh, uh, like body dysmorphia. <laughs> some some people think that they look a certain way when they actually don't, and he has like some type of physical and mental dysmorphia. I think a lot of that probably comes from the fact that he's never really been told no in his life. Like, yeah. I was like, well, he's made so much money. Well, no, no. he's lost a lot more money than he's made really. Made. And also, uh, that even that $1 million loan is ridiculous. Like if, 
in my you know, certainly privileged white male middle class upbringing, even I didn't get loaned a million dollars from my dad when I right. like, went on my own. If I had, I uh -huh. wouldn't brag about that as like, hmm, look, I only got a million bucks from my dad. Yeah. Yeah. But no, there's there's all sorts of evidence that disproves that, and and he's he, ripped off a lot of people too. Oh yeah, and like he, the money he has made has been made in like you know nefarious terms. And because he's had money his whole life, he's just had people around him going, "Oh yes, you're right." Kind of, just kind of holding their hand out, like, "Yep, yep, yeah, you are smart. Please give me some money. Mm -hmm. You should run for president. <laughs> that would be a good idea." Right. Ugh. Did you ever see that Netflix documentary? It's, uh, it, I think it's uh, Get Me Roger Stone. I did see that. I think that. that's his name. Yep. Oh, yeah. What did, what did you think? Well, right off the bat, I was sort of appalled at how he was calling his mother Olivia from The Sopranos. Because are you f familiar with The Sopranos much at all or really familiar no, with the character? No, 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 no. Okay. Not really, no. So uh, Nancy Marchand, the actress who played uh, Olivia Soprano, rest in peace, was apparently quite the wonderful, loving woman. But the character she played, and played so well, was a mother with a borderline personality disorder. So she resented her children. She mm -hmm. was incapable of joy. She, on two occasions that we know of at least, attempts to try and persuade people to kill her own son. Oh, gosh. And <laughs> she's just... You know, she's, she's a horrible person, and that's kind of what Tony's grappling with before Marchand actually in real life passed away, which is why they had to cut her character off. Oh. Um, and so the fact that right off the bat he goes, you know, my mom's just like, you know, just, <laughs> my mom's like someone with a borderline personality disorder who likes to kill her children. Like, uh, <laughs> you think this is admirable? Great. Which I would guess because he's a shallow asshole, like a lot of mm -hmm. other people in Trump's universe, that he's never actually really watched The Sopranos and just assumes that, like, all the main characters are tough. Like, no, there's a difference between being tough and being essentially yeah. soulless. I guess, I guess, uh, real quick too, um, just for anybody listening who doesn't know who Roger Stone is, do you want to give like a, you know, like a short summary of who this guy sure. is? Sure. So Roger Stone is a longtime political operative who started out in the Nixon administration, and he still now revels in just the crazy shit that they said and made up and tried to spin just the propaganda that he did for Nixon. And then he and I would I guess most people also know this name, Paul Manafort, made millions upon millions of dollars as lobbyists representing just you know, for really really bad foreign powers, foreign actors, bad industries, and really just sleazy ways. And at one time and Stone has known uh, Trump for a while. At one time Stone had nearly been really thought you know, he'd been given up for dead as any sort of political actor mm -hmm. when uh, it was discovered that he was, he and his wife were placing, I believe it was classified ads trying to look for other men to, other couples, I guess, to swing with. Yeah. And uh, well hung only yes. need apply. <laughs> 
he there's a uh, it used to be on Netflix. There's a documentary by oh no, what's his name? Alex Gibney about uh, uh, Elliot Spitzer, and Stone essentially brags about the and Stone didn't really even know about Spitzer's uh, frequent use of prostitutes. Stone was just mm-hmm. trying to do anything he could to take down Spitzer at first when Spitzer was going up against Wall Street and then when Spitzer was governor of New York and just spreading all sorts of salacious rumors. And again, to go along with the whole Trump universe, <laughs> a man completely, utterly devoid of shame. Yeah. Everything he does is, you know, it's smart. If he does something stupid, it's he meant to do it. And he takes great pride in being a villain and dressing as he's gotten older he's kind of looked sort of mousier so when he wears like a top <laughs> hat a to not a top yeah. hat but like a bowler hat and stuff like that like yeah he just he almost looks cartoonish mm-hmm. which i'm sure Big he, crazy he, round glasses and, yes <laughs> yeah yeah stone is uh but yes i'm sure you had a larger point about get me roger stone well, I mean, just essentially, he's the, he's the person that suggested to Trump, supposedly, allegedly, back in like 19, what, 87, 88? Oh, mm-hmm. you should run for president. Like, he's the first person to really put that bug in this guy's ear. And, uh, yeah, so here we are. <laughs> and it's uh, largely in part to Roger Stone. <laughs> so that was, that was basically my point. Yes. Like, him being this type of, like, yes man, but he is also just as, uh, you know, morally bankrupt as Trump himself. So, of course, he would, you know, be on board with this. And for those people that go, well, he he is smart as far as Stone goes. He might be somewhat intelligent, but, again, this is the symptom of someone has figured out, well, if I don't play by the rules, then I can get away with it because people won't be polite and tell me to stop. Right. And speaking of Trump, someone actually posted, this was, uh, I actually did want to talk about this. So with Flake's, <laughs> okay. uh, Senator Jeff Flake going in front of the Senate, or on the floor of the Senate, and not directly, but fairly directly denouncing Trumpism and the Republican Party and stating that he would not seek re-election in 2018, so he's giving up his office. Uh, the, you're kind of now starting to see for a while, conservative, even conservative intellectuals were kind of doing some gentle hand-wringing over the way that, the situation that their party finds themselves in. And a lot of it was, where did this come from? I have no idea. Or, you know, I, we didn't do this. This is the fault of the liberals, which is fantastic to see coming from a party that prides itself on personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. And now you're, we're seeing more, like, a lot of the intellectual conservative types are going, oh, well, maybe we did abed this for a while and we, we can still fight it off, though. It's not too late. And I'm going, nah, you guys have... Even William F. Buckley Jr. was fully on board with the Southern strategy back when Nixon was running against... Hmm. Um, I was running against Goldwater. Derp. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and so they've he, they've been fully just in the can, and what they've done is go, 
All right. Well, people don't really seem fully on board with our recipe for economic growth, which is magic and tax cuts for the rich. Right. So let's hmm, let's give like let's kind of just pour out a little bit more of the crazy each time. Ramp it up, and we'll you know we'll we'll see if we can control it. And each time things get crazier, and they can't control it, and they no. go, mm, I don't know what happened. That's what drives me nuts about Bill Crystal of all people is he's sitting there going, I don't know what happened. You went to Alaska and brought conservative donors with you to make the case for putting Sarah Palin on the McCain ticket. Right. You, you, you helped do this, like, yes. directly. <laughs> There's no easier way to tie in the crazies or to tie in Trump with the crazies than the bridge, which was Palin. Yeah. Like when even Rove is kind of going, all right, you guys are a little nuts here. <clears throat> and Rove went nuts himself with Bush. And I was reading an article by, it was an interview with, uh, they're calling him former right-wing talk show host. I guess he doesn't have a show anymore. But now I'm kind of author and pundit, uh, Charlie Sykes. And he was saying, he used this term zombie conservatism, which I was like, I am totally stealing this because that's kind of, <laughs> what it's turned into where the sort of high-minded conservative notion that a lot of these guys, I think maybe honestly believed like people like flake that if you held true to conservative ideals of small government, letting people keep more of what they earn, lower regulations, stuff like that, which I, I fully disagree with, but they were principled in their belief in those things that would make uh -huh. everybody better off. And, what they're finding out now is, no, um, because most of the people that they're trying to, the voters they're trying to appeal to are getting no tangible results from any of this stuff. They're going, no, we like the stuff about how uh, Democrats are screwing us over, black people, poor people are lazy, and that's, the and that's the reason they're not getting out of poverty. We want to lock everybody up because it makes us feel safe. Uh, uh -huh. Mexicans are stealing our jobs and so on. And this has taken over. It's, it's the zombie that runs their party now, where no matter what happens, they, they, there's a certain amount of the electorate that's been conditioned to go, I hate Democrats. All liberals are evil. Mm -hmm. uh, and, like, and it's admirable that they're recognizing it, but they still don't seem to recognize their own responsibility in all of this, which, I mean... One of my least favorite parts of the Sykes interview was that he's not denying that racism exists, but he thinks it doesn't help when you know, he thinks the Democrats should be more selective in calling out racism than they have been. More selective? Yeah. So, like, when only when something's really racist, it should be called out. Like, stuff that's like, I don't know if that's really racist, they should just leave it, let it go, because it, it makes... Uh, conservative voters feel bad and feel marginalized uh, and you know, accused of horrible things. Right. Like, uh, even you sort of enlightened conservatives, you, you still have a ways to go as far as, and we all have ways to go as far as understanding stuff, but mm -hmm. I mean, but <laughs> just taking it, just taking it so personally and acting as if you're the victim in that situation is just shutting it down. Like that doesn't, there's nowhere to go from there. There was a uh, 
this is a horrible segue, and I'm not really actually trying to segue into it. It just made me think of it as far as us white men. Oh, apart from the study that white people, at least I think it was a Fox News study, the majority of white people now say that they're discriminated against or something because they are white. It's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Which, you know, Fox News and such people have perpetuated that for years. Right, yeah. So the, white, this makes me... white or Christian, yeah. Because <clears throat> mm-hmm. yeah. they're synonymous. Uh-huh. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. That was kind of... Oh, it's fine. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. No, a... no, no. <laughs> that was a snotty comment. Go ahead. <laughs> it's, it's completely fair. Uh, and obviously you don't ever have to apologize for interrupting. Because as we've said before, since we can't actually see each other while we're doing this, <laughs> we it's kind of like all we have to go off of is when a voice shows up in our ears. Ears, yeah. Uh, so as I said, this is a horrible segment. I'm not actually trying to take the subject here at all. But um, Hannah Kaiser, who writes for and does some other stuff for uh, Deadspin currently, but I think she writes for all of the uh, Gizmodo Media platforms now and does some editing wrote this long piece about kind of her own history of well I guess it, it there's no better term for it it is sexual assault like where you know she you know, talks about sleeping in a bed with a college friend who's a male who she knew from high school and you know the, the friend insists on getting his hands all over her and she doesn't want to push back because she's worried about basically making that guy feel bad. Mm-hmm. And she talks about this, she elaborates on this further where a lot of when this has happened, it's because um, she feels that as a woman, I, and I'm, <clears throat> I'm totally, uh, I'm not disagreeing with her on this. I just can't say, well, I get you because I don't have that same experience, obviously that, <clears throat> women are conditioned to generally go along because they're not supposed to make men feel bad. Uh-huh. And that we as men generally are the benefit of really everybody, especially white men, not wanting to make us feel bad. So we don't get called out when we say or do horrible things as much as we should. Yeah. It, I would, I would agree with that. Like that, we're women, we're often conditioned to be compliant, to be nice, uh, you know, just to laugh things off. And uh, that's happened. That's happened to me on a couple of occasions, too. Like one time, uh, me and a female coworker, we were uh, uh, one of our patients. Uh, he had finished his exam and we were getting him checked out at the front desk and stuff. And we were all joking around, like having a good time. And then all of a sudden he started making comments about our, our bodies. And it's such an awkward, weird thing to hear just this like sudden switch. And he made some pretty inappropriate comments, but we were still just like agape. And we were kind of still just like laughing. Like we were made uncomfortable, but we didn't, we didn't know how to, what to do about it. And so he left and she turned to me really slowly and she's like, were we just sexually harassed? <laughs> and I was like, I think we were <laughs> like, what the hell just happened? You know? And, and that's how it can happen sometimes too. It's not even a matter of compliance, but just you're trying to be nice 
And you don't, it's not until after the situation is over that you realize what the real implications were of that very awkward interaction. Yick. Yeah. Yeah. And and, uh, and I mean, your friend, I mean, like, I mean, physical touching and stuff. That's, that's, that's like a whole new level, but it can happen in so many different, like different ways. It's hard to know how to handle it. I, I can only imagine. I've been. <laughs> I don't think it's it's obviously not the same, but I was doing when I got a promotion at work. I had to do some workplace harassment training online, and <clears throat> where I work at is it's filled with cavemen that work there. Like they they make no pretensions about being old, dirty men and being very proud of it. So while I was sitting there doing this training, one of them looks over my shoulder and says, like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, just, you know, learning about workplace harassment, like what's right, what's wrong, like you know, when I should notify us, you know, HR if an employee comes to me with a complaint, which, of course, is always uh, because you don't want to go, no, you, pff, shut up. Mm-hmm. So then they thought it was funny to start um, pseudo- making sexualized comments about me. Oh, okay. Which I don't really care. I I think that's, again, that's another issue of privilege where since I really haven't, I, mean, I, I knew that they weren't sexually attracted to me and they were just trying to give me shit. Right. So I'm like, oh, this is just males being douchebags to each other. So I, I'm not trying to say I can, I, I can understand or I can empathize. It's like, no, I, it's just that I think in some cases too, you know, men think that we're being funny when we make stupid, not just who jokes about women that was, that are mm-hmm. over sexualized and actually harassment. But, um, I was telling a friend recently how a while back I had stopped telling jokes that I were meant to make fun of racists by uh-huh. like being sarcastic about it. Right. Yeah. And you know, I said, Oh, what ends up happening is people just feel enabled as opposed to realizing that, Oh, I'm being made fun of. Mm-hmm. And his response was, well, I just think everyone's fair game. Like, uh, like fair no. game for what though? For ri- like what? Ridicule. <laughs> what are you? <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> Uh, great that sounds awesome (laughs) yeah yeah, that's not (laughs) that doesn't sound like a good thing (laughs) no oh yeah i i didn't really have that his response to my initial thing was that's too deep for friday night when i'm two bourbons in so i was like okay i'm not gonna press it because it was like yeah 11 o'clock his time so it's like all right yeah that's enough (laughs) This, there's no good path that this can go down. <laughs> but yeah, that's back to the Sykes thing and just, I guess, the whole idea of, well, you, you may make us feel bad when you say stuff like that. It's like, well, then we can't have a conversation about it. And then it just keeps happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've. Uh, Our, go ahead, sorry. Uh, well, and not only like, oh, that makes us feel bad. I've also heard the thing that, um, and it makes sense, like nobody really likes being criticized, 
And, uh, you know, it's like, well, we don't like being called racist. And it's, it's not even necessarily that. It's that some things you can say or do might be racist acts without you realizing it. So let's talk about it as opposed to just getting defensive and saying, well, that's not, that's not me. That's not what I meant. No, you know, you're mm-hmm. just calling me names at this point. And that, and that just shuts it down in such a way that you're, you're right. You can't, you can't even discuss it. When, I mean, and I've had, as we talked about before, I've had this happen with, actually it was someone else that brought up the whole, my racist, making fun of racist thing was actually encouraging racism. And I got defensive at first. And then after I kind of accepted, I was like, oh, I feel like shit now. And like, not to make the other person feel guilty, was just like, oh my gosh. Like just kind of having that pulled away from you and going, oh, now I see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's why those conversations are important because if you can get to this, just past the defensive thing of, oh, no, 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 I'm not. You are, which is always a fun thing. And <laughs> to the point where you can really kind of think about it and go, oh, crap. Like I th- At least for me, I've found those conversations to be difficult at first, but enlightening, like just yeah. exponentially more enlightening and more, I found more gains from it than any sort of awkwardness or anger I felt at first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and sometimes that's how, that's how it's going to go too. When you have a really tough discussion about, you know, almost anything with almost anybody, I think, you, you know, in the heat of the moment, it may not seem like much, but maybe down the road, it might make you reconsider things. I've definitely had that experience. And if people are open-minded enough, maybe those experiences can, can happen more often. It'd be more productive if they did. Absolutely. I, I wish it happened more often. Right. Which, you know, goes to the whole... With someone on Twitter was kind of opining of what has happened to our society. Uh-huh. And I kind of have been trying to think about this whenever people complain or brag. Things are never really as good as you think they are, but they're never really as bad as you think they are either. <laughs> right. So we don't live in end times, at least as far as I'm not, I refuse to believe that we live in end times. But there's certainly things we can improve on. As we've talked about before, things were never as good in the past as either we ourselves remember, older people remember, or we we want to project them to be. Like there's <laughs> America was never perfect. Not even close. It's never. It will never be perfect. But this ideal that we can keep striving to improve, I think, is where some. Because I think there's a fair amount of actual conservatives that believe that their ideas will help improve things and move forward, as mm-hmm. opposed to the kind of Bannonites and Trumpet Trump wing of the party, which honestly believed that the '50s were the best time in America ever. Yeah. Yeah. Or that the you know the Scalia types that the Constitution's perfect if we would just follow it everything would be fine. Mm-hmm. And as we said before, the internet's a great tool for learning, but instead, that and like television, we're just finding niches to go where we can just all agree with each other. And so, when someone comes along who has a different opinion, mm-hmm. I see this a fair amount where people who disagree with me 
make some sort of argument that they heard some conservative right-wing pundit make on the radio that liberals are always saying this, mm-hmm. which I'm like, that's kind of news to me. Plus, I'm not saying that. Why are you doing that? And yeah. they're honestly surprised because this pundit said this is how all liberals think. And it, it's conversely, there's certainly liberal pundits that say this is how all conservatives think. Right. Yeah. And, and go ahead. I was just going to say, like, we just need to come out from our corners, not armed with these strawman arguments, but going, hey, let's actually just talk to each other. But instead, we're just talking past each other. But I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, um, that that kind of uh, staunchness, that certitude in your own ideas and, you know, just just absolute hardlining on certain beliefs like <laughs> if you look at looking at history and people who have a lot of the that like you know golden age fallacy those ideas and the people that benefited that made it the best era of whatever often came down on the wrong side of history like I recently, I heard an interview. I can't even remember who it was. I told you I listened to like fourteen podcasts yes. a day. I can't, I can't keep it any. I can't keep it straight. I should be like taking notes while I'm listening. Uh, but somebody said, and I can't remember if it was uh, an author or uh, a comedian or something. But they made they made a really funny point that you know if you're so stuck on these ideas, like you've been wrong in all of history. Like, nobody, the Confederacy came down on the wrong side of history. Mm-hmm. So why are we trying to glorify it or celebrate it? Or, like, you know, the Founding Fathers and the earliest parts of our government that we have right now were slave owners. They came down on the wrong side of history on some things. So why why should it be such a bad thing to question other ideas that were out there? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yes, they, yes. They just made such a good point. It's like, why do you think you are right? That idea has been wrong for 400 years. <laughs> like, What makes you think it's going to be better going forward? <laughs> well, because uh, I want to believe it. So therefore, I'm going to find anything that makes me believe <laughs> <Right>. that. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. Yes. yes. Selective. Uh, what do they call it? Selective. No, it's not selective reinforcement. Maybe it is that. Maybe it is that. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, we'll go with that. (laughs) I know we've talked about this, and it hasn't made it on recordings. I think oftentimes I turned off the recording when we've talked about it. But I think media platforms like Fox News, like Breitbart, like even – I used to read um, stuff on Salon.com. Okay. But even then I was like, all right, you guys are being – willfully obtuse and but just in favor of democrats you're not you're not being i i guess you know it's it's one thing to be objective it's another thing to be purposely non-objective and that's what they were doing so mm-hmm. there's again there's sites platforms on both sides that do this but i think there's nothing as influential as what fox has done oh and yeah it's mainlining the dunning kruger effect which, for those of you who aren't aware of what that is, it's basically where people who have relatively low ability in certain areas 
believe themselves to be superior when actually their cognitive ability is fairly low in that area. And this is studies fairly sort of proven because generally people who have higher ability in these cognitive areas tend to rate themselves lower. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that, it's not saying that stupid people think they're smart and smart people think they're stupid. It's generally people that have kind of, because there's plenty of people that are smart but are really very specialized in what they do. And there's a lot of people who are smart and not, maybe don't have a specialization. They, they have a lot of, pull, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. But I'm sure it crosses yeah. over with both. So I, what I think mm-hmm. we're seeing now is, because uh, I love this too, and back to, uh, and to be fair, where I get this from is when I read uh, Tom Nichols' book, who I need to watch it. He was actually on, uh, I guess it's going to be on tonight. He was on uh, Jim Jeffries' Comedy Central show. Oh. So it'll be very interesting. Um, (laughs) It's funny. I follow Tom Nichols on Twitter, and he is, while he was a leader of the anti-Trumps amongst the conservatives, most people just assume because he says bad things about Trump that he's a liberal. Uh. But uh, while he voted for, I think he said he voted for Hillary Clinton, He's been on a podcast where he has not said flatten or very flattering things about her, or, and some stuff where you're like, that's sort of been disproven there, bub. But anyways, yeah, um, you know, just where people who don't really know much about things are like, I'm an expert now, and my opinion matters just as much as yours, so you have to listen to it. Mm-hmm. It's like, eh, no, <laughs> that's not so, true. Since you since you brought up Dunning Kruger. Maybe Trump doesn't have dysmorphia. Maybe he is like the living embodiment of the Dunning-Kruger effect. Could be. I, he just <laughs> he just seems incredibly stupid to me, which I, I shouldn't say Tol- that because, uh, <laughs> again, in Nichols' book, he says not to call people stupid. But I've seen him on Twitter call someone a name before, which is essentially a highbrow way of calling someone stupid. So... Um. Um, and I, I've, I referred to a friend's comment as a name this week. But still, it was – I said inanity, which is – it wasn't an, it wasn't a name comment. <laughs> no, he's – I just think Trump is – I liked what uh, Matt Taibbi said about him where he's not even sure if he's human anymore. <laughs> okay. Where if he just – like he almost – Taibbi described him as almost paralyzed by the fact that he's going to be found out, that people are going to realize that – Underneath all of it, he's a sad little boy who's not very bright. Uh, I I think that gives him too much self awareness. True. That's why that's why I think the Dunning Kruger is a really really nice label to put there because it's you know like complete disconnect of the self. Mm-hmm. Like he you know just like Sean Hannity and a lot of the other pundits that we like to to um, jive at so much politics. They, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or like Bill O'Reilly. Like, they actually believe their own bullshit. Speaking of which, I I don't even know, like, anymore with right-wing pundits if they're being serious when they say stupid shit. But <laughs> okay, did you see that Bill O'Reilly essentially blamed God for his predicament right now? 
Well, at first he he was trying to blame the journalists and uh, saying that they're murderers because of, uh, you know, they like to, to point out sexual assaults and how Fox covers it up. Yeah. Did you hear the interview? The one that he sat down with those New York Times journalists? When no, Did you hear no. any of that? God. I think I think I, I heard it on the daily on Monday, Monday or Tuesday. Um, but anyways, he actually agreed to meet with a couple of journalists who were, who were the main authors, <laughs> one of whom was one of the main authors that wrote the piece back in April that resulted in him losing his job. Right. He actually agreed to meet with them and he he totally played the victim. Of course. So, oh, yeah. I mean, just like. The absolute whining that he did. And then um, I can't even remember. There was another guy over at Fox that lost his job this summer. Oh, yeah. Because the... of sexual assault allegations. Uh, was it Do you know Eric who I'm Bowling? talking about? Is that his name? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's, that's who it was. Well, and I don't know the circumstances of it, but shortly around mm-hmm. that time, his son passed away. And in the tape, O'Reilly says, because of the the pieces you wrote about bowling, his son died. It killed him. You need to think about the effects that you have on people and how dare you pull my children into this horrible thing. Like you're ruining my children's lives. And, and so him just blaming God, that's just the next logical step. You know what I mean? Like that, that kind of self victimization that he's playing into. I, I am not surprised that he's saying it's God's fault. No, it's your fault because you're a horrible human being. And, because it should be known that without really him and Ailes, Fox News uh-huh. would not be what it is. Yeah. So it shouldn't be surprising that that entire network is built off of them hypocritically calling for personal responsibility while claiming that their viewers and white people, white men in particular, white Christian men, are the victims all the time of everything in this country. So when, yep. uh, you know, when... Black people are complaining about unjust treatment from police. The white men are the real victims here. Like, so, right. yeah. Yeah, I, so again, like, believing your own bullshit, like, that's... O'Reilly fits into that profile completely. And I have a friend who will not appreciate me saying this, but... Because he doesn't... He took an issue with me earlier this year. Cynically say... Or basically saying that Trump cynically supports religious policies just because he wants to tr- appear like he's religious. So, well, how do you know? I'm like from what he said and does, I don't think he's religious. Same thing with Bill O'Reilly. I don't for a second believe that he uh, really, if he does believe in God, it's more so a God that only favors him. <laughs> so basically, I, yeah. he's one of these guys that, <sighs> I don't want to go on a tangent here, but, I went to church a few times with a friend of mine growing up when we were, this would have been like in grade school, like elementary school. And he went to one of these churches that was, you know, non-denominational, evangelical, a lot of born-again Christians there. Yeah. And I was telling, I have a lot of conversations with Ben, as you can guess. A lot of them are about religion, too, because Ben was brought up Lutheran like myself. And that everyone at this church was very nice, but... It had this feeling of they were super competitive in their niceness. And mm. this 
boiled over when you know you'd see someone go on stage and give their testimony about how you know, the horrible things that they'd done before they found Jesus. And almost all of them would say something to the effect of that they themselves believed they were God. Huh? Yes. And I, even I remember as a nine-year-old going, why is this crap all the same? <laughs> and it seems so overdramatic. And it's like, you, you honestly believed that you were God. Really? Like, obviously they probably meant that they did not believe that God existed and that they were, they were, the, they were the center of their own universe. It's probably what they meant. Okay. Let's but hope that's what they meant. I hope so. But as I said, it was <laughs> an atmosphere of, I've been to a few evangelical churches because as a uh-huh. kid, I'm like, so oh, these are so much more fun than traditional, um, not even that Lutheranism is uptight. It's just kind of the <laughs> denomination that I belong to is uh, just a bunch of Midwesterners that are fairly boring uh, <laughs> to the point where. They've got, their, they've got their routine down. How about yes. that? Let's. They've got a routine. And my, the church I went to is fairly progressive, I guess you could say, considering that as I think it, 11 or 12 year old I was talking with my pastor and was uh-huh. trying to explain that I didn't think that necessarily creation like I basically I said that I think the Bible doesn't necessarily say that uh, in the Big Bang Theory and the way that we understand how the universe is created mm-hmm. you know, really contradict each other yeah and he was very interested he kept asking me about that and I've since talked to other kids who went to either different Lutheran churches or just different churches in general. And they've all said, yeah, if we would have said that to our pastor, we probably would have been told that we're wrong and like given a lecture to I'm like, no, he talked to my parents <laughs> about it and actually thought it was very bright. But yes, yeah, so well, good for you. Cause that was not, <laughs> that, was, that was not my church experience growing up. I, I did not go to one of those progressive churches. We, we changed churches a couple of times, but because I, I had one of those conversations where I like actually said my opinion and I got I got told I was going to hell. So Jesus. that was cool being like 11 years old. So, <laughs> yeah, I never had that at, at this particular church. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> Heck, I even went to a Catholic school for well, kindergarten and the <laughs> I guess all of two months worth of first grade before we moved to Colorado. Uh-huh. And even there, like, I guess it was, we didn't have nuns that taught us, so maybe that was part of it, but I remember the nuns being fairly nice and would usually just kind of come over and sing songs and play guitar for you. And the priest, uh, the priest just kind of seemed sort of, from what I remember, because I was pretty young. Very little, yeah. Yes, just he just kind of seemed old and uh, interested and, in, talking about the same scripture over and over. <laughs> I, yeah, um, I, I think I, I had a, like a good congregational experience because the, the different pastors that, uh, you know, when I went to church, I, I honestly believe and know that those, those were really, really good people. And uh, it was mostly like interactions with the like, youth group stuff <laughs> that made me mm-hmm. <laughs> made me question things a little bit and mm. okay, that might be 
I, I think it's a, it's a country, uh, not a contradiction, but, um, a result of a couple of different factors. One being an adolescent sucks balls anyways. So, you know, kids are always trying to push each other around and be better than each other and have some kind of hierarchy. So that's tough in and of itself, but then just, just a few, and I mean, very, very few, just a, a select handful of youth group pastors that I, uh, uh, went to church with, um, never, never grew out of that, I think. Hmm. And so they inadvertently were also still kind of jockeying and pushing, pushing kids around in such a way, even if they didn't mean to, or didn't, weren't really aware of it. And, uh, yeah, so church was cool. Youth group was not, and youth group it was was what I was like. Eh, I don't think this is for me. <laughs> How big was your youth group? Just it it varied. Um, like one church, there was like less than ten of us, and then the second church I went to until high school, there it was a big church. It was like I think youth group was like middle school and high school together. There was probably like a good fifty or sixty of us. Hmm. That's yeah. That's that's huge. Yeah, uh, yeah, pretty big. So I guess I can't speak to the size of the youth group because the youth group usually involved like middle schoolers and I guess some high schoolers, but you didn't see a lot of high schoolers that continued on. Probably because I think this, they had the same deal that my parents had with me, which was you go to church up and through your confirmation, then you're good to go. Which confirmation was at the end of eighth grade, and then like you uh-huh. can choose whether or not you wanted to go. And surprise, surprise. Uh, it's a long story as to why I stopped going, but I didn't go much after that. Yeah, no, and, and I didn't. That, <laughs> I, I went to uh, a different um, oh, what's it, Protestant churches, hmm. and uh, that confirmation thing, we never really had that. <laughs> I didn't have, like, an out. It was hmm. just expected to always go until forever. And... Um, it was it was when I was about sixteen. I think I pulled my mom aside and said, "You know what? We go to church, but I don't see much Christianity going on, so I'm not gonna I go had, anymore." I had a very similar. That was sort of why I stopped going. I guess which is why I started questioning. I'm like, "What?" Yeah. Because yeah. it wasn't for me. It was kind of the opposite. Where, um, at least my confirmation class, but the whole youth group experience was a very positive one for me. Yeah. My best friend probably throughout middle school i met him because our <laughs> we weren't very happy with our church for a little while so we we looked around different ones we just kind of settled on this one mm-hmm. and sort of why i wanted to go there was when i went to sunday school i'm like oh these kids are nice like they're mm-hmm. talkative and it's fun and turns out that uh my, the guy who was with my best friend mainly from middle school uh he was he was getting into skateboarding on the same time I was, which was like end of fifth grade or start of sixth grade. And then we all sort of had the same taste in music. Uh, <laughs> a guy who was, I think, either my sister's grade or maybe a year ahead of her. So either th- three or four grades up. He was my mentor one year. And it was really fun just driving around with him and we'd, sort of talk about Christianity, but usually we just go have like lunch and stuff like that. And uh-huh. this is how kind of like <laughs> humdrum and more so fun youth group was for us, where 
for one of the talent shows, he and I decided that we were going to play something on guitar together, but then realized that we hadn't selected anything or practiced at all. Uh oh. So I was like, um, well, I just learned how to play the theme, like a whole song really for uh, Mission Impossible for middle school jazz band and guitar. <laughs> you want me to teach nice. you that? And yeah. then like he realized he couldn't play all of it with me because a lot of it was some chords that he wasn't familiar with. So we're going, what are we going to do? Because this is going like, to be really stupid. Just kind of... Like, just kind of that occasion. Like, there's nothing else to it. This is going to be very boring. So there was a pair of twins that were great ahead of me who were just hilarious. And we... I don't know. I don't want to take credit for it. Some way or another, it was decided that those two would engage in kind of a fake fight around the because it was their tables gathered. It was some sort of like dinner function, and they would just engage in a fake fight that would be like comedic the whole time while they're doing it. Okay. And I remember watching the like video of it because you, you don't really see the fight because the camera is just static, just stationed on the two of us up there wearing leisure suits, mind you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because this was when ska was like kind of hip, and so sure. my mom didn't mind taking me to the thrift store to find ridiculous suits. So we're wearing laser shoots just up there. And at first, you kind of like you hear a few laughs, and then as it goes on and on and on, like you see nothing of the roughhousing. There's just the whole place is just erupting in laughter. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, it was. <laughs> Kind of the same thing where well, I guess not the same thing. I loved my youth group. They were a lot of fun, super fun experience. As far as like my confirmation class, I think I'm friends with like maybe only but three of them on Facebook, mm-hmm. and they're went to college with some of them. So it it was fun. It was just um, yeah. At a certain point, I realized that because hmm, I led Bible study for a bit, like. You guys really aren't into this so much as the hierarchy that is church. Yeah. I'm like, eh, I don't think I'm going to go here anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, it was, it was one of those things where it's like, I felt more accepted at school than I did at church. I, I think I like, had the opposite. Mm, <laughs> is, is this supposed to be the other way around? <laughs> What's going on up in here? You know? <laughs> so it, you know. It it is what it is. I'm not, how did we even get on this topic? Uh, Bill O'Reilly. <laughs> As I said, I'm about to launch into oh, a yes. weird tangent. <laughs> Little did we know it would take us down memory lane to our mostly negative church experiences. Hooray! <laughs> well, I guess I view mine as a whole positive. Just I guess if you view it from the context of did I stay Christian or whatever. I guess maybe uh-huh. there's where it's unsuccessful. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I don't think I did either. I think I think there's a lot of the philosophy of Christianity is absolutely beautiful, mm-hmm. but you can see the beauty in other philosophies and other religions out there too. I don't think it's the end all be all, and uh, just just like any ideology, if you adhere to it too closely, you're gonna undermine the ideology itself. Because I think the point of it is really to accept other people and love other people and I never felt more rejected in my life so <laughs> and I'm not even that that different you know yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, 
think I'm a pretty average, normal person. So, you know, heaven forbid if I was, uh, you know, homosexual or transgender or something, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I totally adhere to to all the quote unquote normal things in life. And I still felt totally picked on and rejected. So, yeah, I just I, I didn't find the philosophy being lived up to. I actually years ago when uh, I don't again, somehow like my borders timeline as to like when you worked there and when you didn't is somehow messed up because this would have been. Oh. I can tell you exactly. I can tell you exactly my borders timeline. Because who, who, did you train with somebody like or did you go through training by yourself? <laughs> I think it was a mix of June. Uh, should I even use names? Oh, like as far as uh, like new employees, like trainees, not like who trained. Them. Oh, um, I I think I was hired pretty solo. I don't because okay. I was I was hired in November of two thousand and eight. I don't I don't think anybody else was hired that month. There were a couple of people around my age hired like a couple months before that. Okay, but I think I was hired. I, no, I was hired with someone. Should I use their name? No, well, I shouldn't. I was going to because uh, partially because I, I don't think she's she's talked about how her and her high school students listen to podcasts. And that's sort of why I label this one as explicit, just in case she got any oh, okay. ideas. Because we don't – it's not like we're sitting here left and right dropping curse words. But we, we do intersperse them. and We do use them, yes. Yeah. So – Sorry, Noel's parents. <laughs> We're getting better about it. Uh, <laughs> Not really. <laughs> true. So, uh, do you remember Conlon, who used to work? Not work, but used to come into. I okay. I do. I didn't like him, but continue. <laughs> so, he had started up this kind of thing where he was, I think, trying to drive interest in either his own books or maybe his own brand on Facebook where he would start up these discussions. And so he okay. posted something where, um, and mind you, I've tried to get a hold of Conlon before because I've wanted to do a podcast conversation with him. Okay. And I've got nothing so far because he defriended me on Facebook at some point, which mm, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Uh, I hadn't, hadn't talked to him in years. So I don't blame people when they do that. And, um, so, anyways, Alex is the employee that I'm referring to. I've actually that's asked That's who I was hired okay. with. That's and what I was I thinking. Completely sp- I spaced it. So, I was trying because I was trying to see if she had like actual contact information for me, and if she would because I, I don't want her to give it to me without his consent. But I don't think he responded to her either. If she, if he did, and she just gave me that's fine as well. But, anyways, so he had posted something that was. Uh, basically talking about how non-Christian couples are X amount more likely to get divorced than Christian couples. And he kind of put discuss. That was his entire thing. Like he offered (laughs) no like comment or anything on it. It was kind of like, Hey, let's talk about this. And Uh at first I would have ignored it, but there were so many just horrific comments that were judgmental as okay i'm not gonna use the f word or even the h word very judgmental and uh, judgmental af yes (laughs) 
And uh-huh. to me, they were fairly infuriating as well because I remember as a kid, and I'm still sort of this way, I'm trying to be better at it, but as a kid in particular, I was a very judgmental little boy. And <laughs> okay. so a lot of times, but mostly this was, uh, this fell on my parents' ears where I'd be like, hey, someone touched this. My dad at one point, I think we were in the car, hands me the Bible and tells me to look up a certain Bible passage. And it's one that basically says judgment is reserved for God and mm. really chastises people for being judgmental. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as is, I guess, what I've always done, I immediately just kind of like drop my head in shame. It's like, oh, crap. Mm. So whenever I've heard this hyper-judgmentalism come up with people who are claiming to be very Christian, I immediately, I guess almost ironically, jump in and go, Hey, you're not supposed to do that. Or not maybe so forcefully, but at least kind of, hey, I don't think that's your place here. Mm-hmm. And then someone had posted that, and I'm fairly certain of the wording of this, that because they're not Christian, that Satan is already closer to the bond from the beginning, and it's hard to ward off. So I jumped in with a very, 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 believe it or not, very long response to all of this, basically saying what you know what you said, Michelle, about uh, I don't have a problem with Christianity. I have a problem with Christians. Mm, and it was yeah. for those reasons where rather than looking to improve oneself, to be more loving, to be more compassionate, we use it as a cudgel to beat someone into submission to, you know, or just to be to show that you're better than somebody else. Right, yeah. And so I went just point by point by point, and it must have been like five or six paragraphs. Wow, yeah. And I get the next morning thinking that there's going to be all sorts of responses to it. Conlon had deleted the thread completely. Oh, my gosh, wow. And so next time I saw him, I apologized, saying, like, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, like, I didn't mean to piss anybody off. I didn't mean to take over your thread, but I'm like, I just felt like you, you'd open the floor and I wanted to respond. And his response was, well, you basically left some with people with nowhere to go. It's like your response mm. was informed. It was polite. And he was like, I realized that also that it kind of gotten off the rails with people just kind of the whole, uh, <laughs> again, I guess this is why we're explicit. Um, we'll call it a circle jerk. Of yeah. people just going off on, oh, yeah, Christian, yeah, we're, we're so much better than everybody else. That he was like, I I felt like it, it had gotten out of control, so I deleted it. Yeah. That's and crazy. I've kind of stood by that. And what, one of the things I also put in that statement was, uh, hi, Mom. My mom doesn't view herself as a Christian. I remember at one point she kind of said she was agnostic, which – makes sense to me but she's also sure. from my mind she's one of the best people i know one of the most like one of the least judgmental and kind of is very encouraging people just to do their own thing and be happy mm-hmm. so when i'm reading all this stuff and people are calling people who are not christian closer to satan like come on now i i, I yeah. felt like they were attacking her Mm-hmm. And I also, it's probably unfair to my father, I hold him, he's kind of my 
standard for what I think Christians, in a sense, should be, where he's used his Christianity and his faith to improve himself and, you know, be a mindful, thoughtful human being, which I'm sure he always was, but it's self-improvement. So when I see this other stuff, I'm like, this isn't what I'm used to. Mm, And same thing with, with my pastor, where like my upbringing is the pastor is just a nice guy from Minnesota who gives up and gives a sermon, which is very Garrison Keillor esque, where there's always some sort of lesson (laughs) in it, but it's almost some sort of fun homespun tale involving Midwestern values. (laughs) Well, that's, that's actually a really good point. Cause like thinking upon it, I, when I was very young, the church that my family belonged to, we did, we did see that we did see the philosophy of Christianity being lived out. And it's those people who I hold in my heart as like exemplary human beings so then we moved from New, from New Mexico to Colorado and all of a sudden that all shifted and I wasn't seeing the same types of people. Yeah. Uh, so I, I guess I, I say that in a point as like, I do, I do know plenty of good Christians and they are absolutely like upstanding human being. So I don't, (laughs) I say that as like a quick apology that I don't mean to offend everybody. Like I, I don't, that wasn't my entire experience, but there were enough experiences later in my life that made me want to step away from the church. Mm -hmm. And that is, and that is not those people's faults. The ones from my life who I still consider wonderful people and close and basically family because they helped raise me before we moved. You know what I mean? Yeah, like I don't, yeah. I don't want to make that blanket statement. Well, I would say at least from my perspective too, at least well, speaking for myself, that uh, I don't really blame anyone per se for yeah. me getting away from Christianity because it may have just been a function of my own, intellectual evolution sure yeah so yeah it's i i totally agree there's tons of people that are fantastic human beings that are in a sense exemplary christians but yeah it's uh there's in a sense there's too many bill o'reilly's out there that make it (laughs) somehow hard hard it's not palatable at this point yeah yeah and it's uh there's there's a lot of hypocrisy out there Indeed. <laughs> um, Indeed. Another thing that made me is kind of going off the religion thing. I was reading Christopher Hitchens, who he's one of these guys that he's obviously passed away now. But as I, like when I first read him when I was 20, 21 around oh, there. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, Pretty oh, young. my gosh, this guy's speaking my language. And then as I got a little bit older, I was like, all right, this guy's a little too abrasive. Like, and then also the whole thing of um, him in, insisting on calling female pundits who in, you know, interviewed him, darling. I'm like, oh, God, no, please stop doing that. Gross. And his uh, insistence on being an anti-theist. And I, I can understand where he's coming from as far as he believes that because it's, in his mind, it's a fallacy that 
just faith in general because there is no celestial entity and stuff like that, that any sort of observance of, you know, any in beliefs that appear to that are just, you know, antithetical to reason. Yeah. But his antagonistic approach to religion, it still irks me. Sure. But at the time when I read, this is Letters to Young Contrary, which is the first book I read by, of him, which is a collection of essays, he talks about how people say, well, you know that, uh, you know, Bonhoeffer, who I'm sure I'm mispronouncing his name. I've, I've heard it Bonhoeffer that's, before. That's actually really, really good. Yeah, okay. go with it, Bonhoeffer. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Go with it. Um, and which I feel I have to include this because this is kind of a weird, dumb story, but I was at a bar in Duluth, Minnesota years ago, and I was out in Duluth with my dad, who doesn't drink, and my sister, who was pregnant at the time. So I went down to the bar by myself, and so what are you going to do? I don't know anybody in Duluth, Minnesota. So I brought mm-hmm. a book, which was a Bonhoeffer book, and okay. there was some guy there that was very upset. It's like, why is that guy reading a book? Just the whole time, like, like, should I put this down? What should I do? And I remember him going, like, what is he even reading? Who, what, who's that author? And his friend's like, just calm down, man. Yeah. <laughs> and it obviously never came to anything. It was just kind of like, uh, what? why are you mad at me? Anyways, would Bonhoeffer have been against Hitler had he not been a Christian? And he brings oh, up the that's same, intriguing. the same point with, you know, would Martin Luther King Jr. had not been against racist and racism had he not been a Christian. And he's not trying to, like, say that these guys were, like, hucksters or anything like that or didn't believe in this stuff. But he says that for both good and bad, religion has been a tool with which to organize people. Yes. And that was the point of this essay, was not saying that it's inherently bad or good, just that you can't simply say that it's good because good people have done good things with it. Mm-hmm. That's basically half of it. <laughs> I think that was a really nice uh, way to end on that topic. I might actually, because we're kind of all over the map on this one, and it's getting a little bit long, and I want to make sure that you had a chance to discuss your Chicago trip. I might try and find a way to like cut the middle part out and do it send it to a different podcast, if that makes sense. Oh, I think that's a really, really good idea. You could make like... Episode six point two, or you know what I mean, like yeah. I like, might even just or trim like, it out if you want to. Like one of us can do just like a quick, in case I'm not very good at like trimming the whole, like the middle part. Uh-huh. Might have like a little section where actually you could just do music there or something like that. Uh, totally, whatever kind of interlude you want to okay. put between the two segments. And I finally figured out how to use my microphone. Ah. Um, so I have audacity on my computer nice. and my microphone. So if you, if you want me to do any type of little intro or explanation, I can do that and send it to you. I haven't quite figured out everything on okay. audacity, but yeah, that'd be cool. Cause I think, uh, I'm just sort of worried that as I've told you, I've told Julia, I've told my dad that like, not only will this come across as like, I'm the host, damn it. But like, um, <laughs> What I'm already worried about is that I'm doing too much, you know, mansplaining. So, like, I'd kind of like to have it so it's not like, hey, we have these conversations where we're talking about equality, but I'm the guy that does all the talking. So, 
a quick aside on that. Like, Noel, you are you are such an intelligent, considerate person. In in this in the last couple months, like do, putting this podcast together with you, every time you are very concerned about coming across as X, Y, or Z, it's a, you're fine. Like I promise, if if <laughs> your consideration is amazing, and that's a great part of your personality. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> don't don't worry about it too much because if I if I think you're commandeering things or if you're explaining something wrong, I'll tell you. For sure. So I just I just want to put that out there. Like your consideration is so appreciated. Like just that part of your personality is just really, really refreshing. But don't beat yourself up too much. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Does that make sense? It does. Okay. uh... All right. I don't want you to worry too much about it. So, you know, you're good. We're we're good. But I am more than happy. I want to take on more more of a role. I'm enjoying our podcast so much. So I want to help you more slowly, but surely I'll get there. So I think that's also a good way to add that. I'm sorry if I can't remember this. I was a little drunk and a fair amount tired on Friday night. Okay. um, Julia told me that a, uh, and I only say this because I think it's important to what we're discussing. Mm -hmm. Um, She had a conversation with a very nice black woman who cut her hair which um, <laughs> she came home and said, do you like my mer- mermaid haircut? I looked at it for a second. Like, I wouldn't have thought that, but I can see it now. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so the <laughs> young gal was asking like just some questions and somehow the podcast came up and was like, well, what do they oh. talk about? And she's like, well, they talk about politics and race and stuff like that. And somehow it came up like where a friend of mine, the same one that has put me in my place for, both uh, some sexist comments I've made and also for uh, my, you know, what do you mean that my jokes making fun of racists are actually not helping? I was... Uh, me as a historian, what do you mean my jokes about the Holocaust aren't yeah. helping? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, everybody's guilty. Everybody is guilty. Continue. Uh, and I was telling her that I was having a hard time kind of putting together an intro for the podcast, which we, I think it was two episodes ago where we talk about Tanahashi Coates. Yeah. And that. And I was like, well, it feels weird because it's two white people discussing race, but at the same time, yeah. it's like we're discussing what we've read. We were discussing like kind of what we, what we wish we knew and what we wish we wish we knew earlier. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And what I was kind of thinking was, well, we're trying to lead listeners to other stuff that they can check out where it's like, yes, like we found this interesting. Maybe you might too stuff where right. they might not get there on their own. And the gal was saying, well, that's, that's good because that's sort of what needs to happen. And so I was like, I felt sort of vindicated at the same kind of like, huh? And, but the gal was just saying, yes, like <laughs> there has to be a conversation within the white community where you talk about reading stuff that's written by black people. Right. Yeah. And I'm on to, uh, Tanahashi are you Coates. still, re- are you still recording? Yes. Okay. Just so you know, I'm filling my water bottle with water. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to cut that out. Okay. Because... <laughs> okay. I'm done. <laughs> All right. 
So going on to Ta-Nehisi Coates, yeah. I'm reading, uh, I don't have to look it up now, because is it eight years in ch charge? Uh, eight years we were in power. Hold on, I've got the We were eight years here. in power, yes, in American tragedy. So we were eight years in power, yes. And I'm about, I think I've got like five hours left of the audiobook right now. Okay. And even listening to that, I'm going, man, I feel so deprived of all sorts of history and all sorts of oh. stuff I should have read in college. Sure. And it makes me think of this stuff like, well, why don't we teach white history? Like, why isn't there white history month? Like, that's all we got. I'm, I'm, and I feel, <laughs> I feel chipped because of that. Like, what the fuck kind of a question is that? Yeah. That's all there is. <laughs> yeah. Like when he talks, like not even at length, just the stuff he talks about with Malcolm X. I'm like, I did not know that because you know what? Yeah. I watched a movie with Denzel Washington and listened to my parents talk about Denzel Washington, a few, not Denzel Washington, Malcolm X a few times. And that was yeah. my entire background on him. Right. Seriously. And it, you know, it ties in this whole thing of you see this all the time in the media where, hey, look, this black person said this, so obviously, you know, it's that's what black people think. It's like, well, mm. if we as white people aren't a monolith, as we as white men aren't a monolith, <laughs> why would black people be any different? <laughs> so this they're idea still, they're that, still human beings, <laughs> so exactly. <laughs> so that there is a conservative wing of black Americans that doesn't match up with, say, the conservative wing well, of well, our Republicans because, yes, they may be religious. They may be, I guess, in favor of things that, for better or for worse, are called family issues. I don't even know what to go with that. But, you know, the reason why they still tend to vote Democrat if they vote at all is because mostly the Republicans have refused to, you know, obviously since Lincoln, deal with race as where the Democrats, even though, and this is what drives me nuts about particularly Bill Clinton, is they've tried with race sort of, but there's also had deeply flawed things they've done. Sure. And won't really admit to it. But I'm getting off point here. Um, so when he talks about you know, James Baldwin and stuff like that, like, I've missed out on all this stuff, which is kind of the same way I felt when I was presenting that women in politics section of a book we read for American political philosophy in college, okay. where you're going, wait, why didn't I read about this before? And mm. obviously that's on me for not looking into it, but at the same time we're going, this would have been cool to like know about and not have <laughs> to like be told to read about it in college. Yeah, seriously. Like, but at the same time, like how much responsibility do you have as like a 13 year old <laughs> to look into <laughs> True. other aspects of history? Yeah, but I totally agree. Like, I, I was probably going to be a music major until I took AP history my senior year of high school. And that completely changed my path. And it was because of the teacher I had not because of the, like the actual curriculum. Uh, that in and of itself was pretty like straight and narrow, but he would throw in other things. So it made me, it made me more interested and uh, it taught me to think a little bit better. But yeah, I mean, like if you go, if you go to college, social studies in college, it's, I had one professor explain it as like a two by four coming out your forehead. 
that's exactly what it feels like in a lot of ways. If you're mm-hmm. paying attention and if you if you want to do well and if you're interested in the subject, but not everybody goes to college. So we, you know, there's this massive disconnect in our, our education system in this country where history is taught at least K through 12 to make you a nice little patriot. And then you go to college and it makes you think about something, other things, like some things that we should change or strive for or our, our shortcomings in history. And so no wonder there's this disconnect between some people who think like, Oh, you know, college libs, they're all just like, they hate America and want to take our gun. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like there's this, there's a complete disconnect because there's, there's two different expectations in the way history is taught between public schools and higher education. Which I actually learned about the first history course I took in college where the teacher wrote up on the board, history, myth, and legend. Legend. Okay. Continue. Expand on that. And it was just kind of like a lot of the stuff that you believe is history is legend or myth. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I remember the first few classes kind of being like, what? And so you're thinking like, <laughs> you know. What? You know, Paul Budgen. Budgen? Bunyan. <laughs> I was trying to. Paul Budget. was uh, trying to include <laughs> or combine words here. Yeah. That you know, Paul Bunyan was a myth. Uh-huh. And then you're going, wait, but so is a lot of the stuff that, like, the whole Thanksgiving thing. The first Thanksgiving, that wasn't what it was. No. And, like, <laughs> it's one of those moments where I was, you know, 19 at the time going, wait, this isn't cool. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, like, the minute I get, like, in my dad's ear, I can get to my dad's ear, I'm like, I learned this. And he's like, yeah, like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, <laughs> that's our dirty little secret. And now you're old enough to know about it. Like, what? Yeah. Um, a quick plug. That made me think of an author I really appreciate. He's a, he's a journalist, but he's, he's known for his, you know, history books, basically. Uh, Tony Horowitz, his most well-known book is Confederates in the Attic. And uh, he's written some other books about uh, history in general and, and the kind of intermingling of fact and, and myth and legend. Uh, his book, Blue Latitudes, he follows the sailing course of Captain Cook through the South Pacific. It's really, really great. Um, but one of the funnier books that he and I do mean funny, like laugh out loud funny. Um, uh, <laughs> he wrote this book uh, probably about... I don't know, seven or eight years ago now, and it's called A Voyage Long and Strange, where he travels to many of the locations and uh, takes many of the paths that early European explorers took when they came to the Americas. And uh, he'll he'll kind of go through a pattern of like one chapter is about actual history, and then the second chapter is about his experience going to that location where the history happened. And uh, like him visiting Plymouth Rock, he, he kind of throws it a, a, as an aside, but he goes to, you know, the rock there and it's a big tourist attraction. <laughs> People are there with their families and they have sunscreen on their noses and they have their digital cameras out. And <laughs> one of the tourists asks the National Park uh, Ranger, oh, is this where Columbus dropped off, dropped off the pilgrims? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's that's the teachings of history <laughs> in the uh, United States educational system. It's just that so much of it is myth and legend, and it's all overlapped, and none of it means anything, and it's all poorly explained. <laughs> like, no one can keep any of it straight, you know? <laughs> it's, well, it's, not only is it so watered down, but it, it's, it's not <laughs> yeah. mythologized. It's kind of like... Well, it's this guy falsified. Ex- it's yeah. falsified. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this professor also was the first, well, this is the first history teacher I had where on tests, he could care less whether or not you knew what year exactly something happened. Yeah. It was all about significance. Yeah. And coming from, and I thought I had some good teachers in high school. Like I was telling, actually I was on a podcast where, the whole pizza explanation as opposed to the melting pot was from a freshman <laughs> yes. what, what, a freshman history course I took in high school. Sure, sure. Yeah. I did have a uh, very, I think she needed to retire, but a very old history teacher, my senior year of high school, who as long as you just wrote like several paragraphs for each answer, you're guaranteed full points each week. Mm. So I would just write the same sentence over and over again. Oh, what? Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that makes me sad. Okay. But this, I didn't realize that you were going to think about being a music major because basically throughout high school, I was like, I'm going to do music anyway, so who gives a shit about any of this stuff? <laughs> and I kind of had a similar experience where while I did originally go to school as a music major, uh-huh. as we you talked switched. about in the previous podcast, I took a government course like, this is really cool stuff. Like I, was, yeah. I like debating. I like um, you did some exercises where you were faux governments, and I usually did pretty well with kind of bringing people together and convincing them we're all better off if we do this and making. Um, yeah. yeah. Believe it or not, I'm good at uh, having people find compromise. Who would have thought a salesman does that? Hmm. Anywho, huh, how about that? <laughs> <laughs> But yes, yeah, so, like I didn't really care about that in high school, and then college comes around, and I still I never actually took a women in politics course, but oh. I do remember that a couple of years in a row it was I needed something in whatever category of course that was, <laughs> and going oh, I don't want to take that. They're just going to complain about men the whole time, mm. and now looking back, I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> Because it's like, <laughs> no, just talking about, as you said, history isn't complaining. You're just stating facts or mm-hmm. what people have written. Like it's, And I wish I would have done that because when I was, again, forced to take a multicultural studies course in college, I went into it thinking, oh, here we go. But you came out of it going, can wow. I take more of these? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, I and hadn't that, heard this before. This is all new information. Right. And and I mean, that's the hope for those types of classes is if if you can get somebody out there to say, oh, interesting, just even once, I think it's worth it. There was a gal in a few of my poli-sci courses, my, must have been my second to last year, well, my last year of school was kind of weird so we won't talk about that <laughs> just well, okay. just because it was, it was chopped up because of money yeah uh, yeah sure go ahead so my last me. year of like of being a full-time student uh-huh. i took several classes with a gal that was i mean this is t- 
to me, this is extremely impressive, was not only a double major, but was majoring in three different things. Political science, African studies, or African-American mm-hmm. studies, cool, and sociology. Mm-hmm. And so when she gets up and gives a presentation on, again, my ignorance of speaking here, I'm going, Du Bois, it's Du Bois, you idiot. <laughs> W-B-E, yeah, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, I, I bring that up because it was, at the time, like, you eat, I'm like, oh, God, I'm stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but she gets up and talks about the stuff, and I'm like, wait, I haven't heard of any of these authors before, and now I just want to, oh, wow. it's all I want yeah. to hear about. Yeah. And there was a few other students who were also double majors in African-American studies and listen to them talk. I'm just, I wouldn't chime in because I'm like, no, I, I want to hear more of this conversation. Hmm. I don't want to hear about the, uh, as I said before, and this was an actual kid who sat in the front of the class who always talked about how hard his grandfather had it. He was obvious, obviously he's a white kid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he, this was the same one that talked about how the Irish used to be slaves. Mm. Where the teacher jumped okay. in and was like, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Mm-hmm.